the pain of sacrificing lies uh, personally is not nearly as bad as the pain on those around you and the cataclysm, really, that you bring upon your head and the heads of others um, from believing those lies and allowing that darkness to spread in your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mind Matters. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing truth and honesty, uh, honesty towards ourselves, truth, uh, truth-seeking, and honesty in relationships, and just really trying to, um, trying to disambiguate and disentangle all these different ideas and all the different dimensions that there are to these, uh, to these topics, because I think that we all either know someone or are someone who is who has been dishonest with themselves and found themselves in in a situation in which they're angry or they're they're disgusted they're fed up with the people around them and and the path that they're on and yet it stems largely back to some fundamental subconscious or unconscious dishonesty about what they want and what they are doing and how there is a mismatch between their desires and the reality around them. And then they make life a living hell for themselves and for other people when a simple um, attempt uh, at honesty uh, with oneself and with others could ameliorate a ton of, of issues. Um, there's so there's that dimension and then there's also the dimension of truth and truth seeking because i think that honesty with one's oneself and others is necessary for truth but probably not sufficient so we will be developing uh, just our ideas and our thoughts on on these things and these these subjects as we go on today so we are glad to have you and we hope that you enjoy the show uh, gentlemen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. First, be honest. The uh, <laughs> the first problem, I think, is if we get into this idea of honesty, or you could call it sincerity, maybe there's a difference. Um, most people think. I'd suppose I'd th I'd think that most people think that they're honest, or that they that they're honest with themselves, and that's the problem: is that they don't even realize when they're lying or believing lies or telling lies to themselves or to others. That's one issue. There's also an issue of a kind of a use of sincerity and honesty as an excuse for uh, a certain type of behavior that isn't really getting at what we're talking about when we talk about truth and honesty. So what I mean by that is a person might be sincere and make excuses for themselves for for instance, um, if they're just sincerely sharing their feelings, for instance, that might be, they might do so in such a way that is, has a hidden motivation, uh, a hidden impulse, especially in interpersonal relationships where you actually have a, um, like a semi or a close relationship with the person in question, you might, something about what they've done or what they're doing might bother you and you've got all of these all this past baggage between the two of you. And so then you use that as an excuse to unload on that person to hurt them essentially. And, but you, but you don't want to think of yourself as someone who 
wants to hurt someone, especially someone close to you. So you say, oh, well, I'm just being honest. That's just how I feel. And ignoring the actual impulse that's buried underneath that emotion, which is just the excuse for the underhanded jibe that you might make. So you see these kinds of things in, well, relationships, like romantic relationships all the time. You see them in uh, uh, married couples who have been together for a long time, and you observe them and you just watch them like battling it out for hours on end every day and wonder how they can survive living in this kind of environment with this other person. And, uh, and what it really comes down to is, in a lot of cases, like you said, there's a, a dishonesty that's going on on multiple levels often covered over with this excuse of being honest and being sincere and just letting your guard down, I guess, because when you've been been with someone for so long, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. It can be a, a longtime friend or just another family member. I think it comes out most particularly in fam- with family members that uh, the familiarity with the other person is what gives you the excuse to just be completely honest with them with no regard for their feelings and actually with a, a, a hidden motivation to actually jab them a bit so there's that and probably one of the first things one of the first remedies for that is to consider as an hypothesis that you might not be being honest all the time and that you might have hidden motivations in other words that you don't know the truth that you haven't discovered the truth about yourself and about the dynamic between you and the people around you so the first step would be to take as a working hypothesis that you lie more often than you think you do and that you lie to yourself. And most people, I'd say, don't want to do that and don't do that. First, they don't do it. And then if they encounter it as a possibility for action in their lives, then they, if they really ask themselves, don't want to do it because they would learn something about themselves that would that is not um, pretty, that doesn't, doesn't stroke their ego, doesn't, put, doesn't paint them in a good light. And no one likes not being painted in a good light. We like everyone to think of ourselves as you know, good, decent people with only pure intentions. And you see that in every facet of everyday life, whether it's interpersonal relationships or kind of group behavior and you see it in politics all the time you see it in political movements or ideological movements it is this covering over of the truth which is the truth about oneself with often fancy words or slogans or just just plain out just plain out lies you know in in many cases lies that are believed to be true by the person in question you can take this up to, like I like I just went there, kind of the political level, where you see it in the identification, the kind of attachment to one's political party, for instance, or one's um, political ideology of choice, where this person seemingly really believes in the talking points of their party, their group, but when it comes down to it, that's all that they're concerned with is the identification with the group and not with any actual truth of the matter. They're more concerned with the, well, yeah, they're more concerned with just 
conforming to the group and having the same thoughts as the group and and when confronted with facts and logic will just throw them out the window because really that's not important so like you were saying at the beginning Corey, this applies to multiple levels of being multiple levels of um just existence as a as a human being on this planet from the most simplest notions of who you are what you want who you want to be to how you interact with others uh your relationships with others and the beliefs that you have about the world about society about where things are going about where things should go and pretty much the whole gamut of human experience is founded on lies yes and when you were bringing up the subject of political ideology and movements that are based on lies it reminded me of the idea that there's always a cost to behaving and taking action uh, on the basis of lies and lying and and untruths and that the lack of insight and wisdom that goes into enacting those decisions, those policies, those acts of protest, or what have you, always seem to come down later in the road. And unfortunately, in many cases, don't get experienced or learned as lessons about how lies work and how people react and respond to the untruths that get promulgated in order to affect a certain way of thinking or or policy so lies and lying are very short-sighted and expedient ways of gratifying one's own emotional uh, perceived needs in in many cases and and that can be said to exist on a larger political social cultural level or like you guys were saying earlier on a more interpersonal level i, f I did find a paper here on the subject of lying called you can handle the truth mispredicting the consequences of honest communication and you can handle the truth i'm guessing as a play on the famous line from the film a few good men that we're all familiar with in which jack nicholson says you can't handle the truth <laughs> and it's the it's the point of the researchers of this study from the university of chicago carnegie mellon university that uh that in many cases people can handle the truth. And I think that presumes quite a bit, and we can get into that too, especially how the truth is presented and what an individual's intentions are when communicating truth to somebody in a relationship, for instance. But there are some primary motivators for why people are dishonest with others in interpersonal uh, relationships and I thought that would be a good way to at least broach the subject for why one of the reasons 
we're less honest with people than we can or should be in many cases. So in the study, they mentioned that uh, how they examine how honesty influences three distinct facets of well-being. The first is hedonic well-being, which is characterized by pleasure, enjoyment, and happiness. So we fear that if we should be honest with somebody about a particular uh, impression or feeling or thought that we have about their behavior or a particular situation, that will rock the boat and things will be more difficult and that there will be a certain level of pleasure that we'll be deprived of from being in relationship with that person that will somehow lose out on some of the goodies. The second type of well-being that's described is something called eudaimonic, um, which is well-being that's characterized by meaning, fulfillment, and individual autonomy. In the eudaimonic view, well-being consists of the actualization of human potentials rather than pleasure. So the authors of the study actually come to the conclusion that in being honest and being communicative and truthful in our communications with people, there is a potential there for a greater meaning in the relationship that can actually improve another person's perception of themselves, their situation, and their relationship to the person that's communicating the truth. So those are a couple of ideas that, uh, that would seem to be the cost-benefit analysis to, in, in many people's minds, about lying or not lying with one another. Well, yeah, you, the way you, you describe that, uh, it makes me think of, uh, you know, the Christian myth and, or the Christian values, I suppose, surrounding uh, sacrifice um, for a greater good, you know, not getting specifically into, into that right now, but um, it makes me think about sometimes uh, in relationships, uh, you know, the, this idea that um, of, you know, protecting yourself from the ramifications of certain actions or thoughts uh, and basing your future actions on that is um, it can seem in the short run to be the safe bet. You know, like you said, you get to keep the goodies in the short run, but unfortunately what we lose sight of is the, um, the fact that, as Jordan Peterson has pointed out, that these kinds of things will grow over time. They can grow and they can fester. And the, it's easier the second time to lie, and it's easier the third time and the fourth time. And I think that for most of us, this process starts in childhood. And um, depending on, you know, parenting style, I think most people, you know, will admit that, you know, they're not perfect parents or they didn't have perfect parents, that, it, that such a thing doesn't exist and that, you know, as children, you know, being weak, being scared, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to be punished, so you lie. You lie in order to get out of being punished. 
And that, I think, starts to develop a process that continues throughout most of um, your life, is that it's easier to avoid um, punishment if, if you lie. And um, that really, deep down, there has to be a, an awareness of the value of honesty. Um, there has to be sort of a kindling of an understanding of the value of the relationship as a whole and something higher than just your your wants and needs because as I was saying and you know as that points out that the um, the the growth of the lie in a relationship will destroy that relationship um, in one way or another it'll it eats it'll eat away at your heart it'll eat away at the hearts of others because most of the time I don't you know we we tend to think that people are dumber than they really are that it's there's always an awareness in some way I think that when you're being lied to um, and I think that that then can start creating sort of a feedback loop and mm -hmm. then then it's you know lie or sly and then you know pretty soon like you were saying Harrison you you know like with the you know relationships where people are just battling with one another you know there's no truthful honest communication you know that it's for a lot of people i think that we um you know we kind of lose the capability for that over time and that's kind of just part of the the general human the human condition and it's not in our power you know it happens accidentally and i think that one of the cornerstones for true honesty is accepting the fact that almost everything that happens in our lives is accidental. It's, you know, we, there's not a lot of purpose in, in life in general, in, in this world, that this is something, this is kind of a teaching that, that goes back generations and generations and generations is that, you know, the world is something of a, of, of a wilderness, you know, there's not, we're, we're lower than, than, um, than these values that we desire, that we don't have conscious control over our lives and that we react to things and we react often in the best way that we can, but that deep down things just happen to us and we have to respond. But like Harrison, like you were pointing out, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of a lie to, it's a lie to believe that, um, a lie to ourselves to believe that we do have control and that we that we are the masters and that we are you know these strong individuals who have who have our PhDs or who have our this or that when in fact a lot of it is was outside of our control and even the little effort that we have put in is more is kind of like roses on murd <laughs> like uh, like um, Gurdjieff would say um, crap mm -hmm. roses on crap but that uh, but yeah that there's a uh, deep down. In order to, I think, be honest with ourselves, um, we have to accept the fact that that we are strangers, really, to ourselves. That we don't um, we don't know ourselves, and that we actually have to work at being honest. We have to discover what's happening. We have to make that type that type of effort. And then, when we do discover it, and if we do discover that we're not who we thought we were and we're in a relationship and we, you know, we've done something, you know, that, uh, that could damage the relationship, that it's better to, to take that kind of self-sacrificial, all right, I might lose all the goodies in the world, but you know, that it, maybe it's, this is more important. Maybe the well-being, the, you know, the truth 
is something that's worth sacrificing my little desires uh, mm -hmm. for. I, th I think that maybe one way to kind of distill that bit that you read from that paper and what you were saying, Corey, is that there's a, a multi-level dimension to truth. Because if you look at any one argument, let's say, one disagreement, um, you can notice that, let's say, in your parents, oftentimes it's the father that will, will, uh, will be in the position of, well, no, I'm right. This is the way things are, right? And very logical and uh, kind of cold and cold and cold and hard facts, right? No, this is the way things are. And even if you look at that one tiny situation, that may be correct. But there's oftentimes a wider truth that encompasses this situation. The wider truth to accept might be, well, that might be the case, but you're still being an ass, mm -hmm. right? The, the wider truth might be that you're just being an asshole, uh, regardless of what you're, whether what you're saying is true or not. There's mm -hmm. there's a, a wider context in which you're in which you're behaving, because the like the the truth very narrowly defined can be used as a weapon just to beat someone over the head with. Um, there's nothing productive about it. the The wider truth might the wider truth is um, on a level of let's say like the the wider the bigger meaning or the bigger importance of a situation to 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 realize what the wider context is. And oftentimes what that wider context is, that wider truth is, is what you said, Corey, that you are essentially acting completely automatically, that there's no kind of, um, there's no you there. It's just a, a force and emotion running through you that isn't going anywhere and that doesn't go anywhere. That, uh, you know, you win one argument, well, where are you going to, what's that going to gain you? Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to, okay, uh, you know, you're you've died and you're looking at the your your the, the diary of all your events of life and it's like oh the number of arguments i won and you've got all these check marks it's like and then the the number of times that you weren't an asshole and you've got no check marks right so you can win all the arguments you want but it doesn't doesn't mean you're a good person so there's also this element of um truth mixed in with what you might call goodness too and i think that comes back to the second definition of well-being, the eudaimonia, which is the, you know, comes from the Greek philosophers, uh, comes from Aristotle and the, and the Stoics. That's, that's basically their word for happiness, um, fulfillment. You know, that's what the, that's what the purpose of life is. That which, that's what we should be striving towards. And you can't strive towards that with a legalistic approach to truth and lies, just mm -hmm. like, I'm right all the time. I know I'm right. And screw you if, uh, you know, for being wrong all the time, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna win you any friends for one thing. And if you're, if you're not, if you're not a success at dealing with other people and establishing relationships that actually work, then you're obviously doing something wrong, um, about being a human. You're obviously failing at being a, a, a an actual human being in some way, so there's more to it than just that um, that kind of strict focus on truth defined in a particular way. Maybe that can be a, a lead into a wider discussion on truth because there's all kinds of truths. Like I, I introduced this kind of multi-level analysis to it. There are 
there are all kinds of truths. There are truths about the physical world. There are truths about physics and chemistry and biology. There are truths about psychology, truths about meaning and, uh, let's say, spirituality. There are all different kinds of truth. They all come under that category, but you can't basically... It's not productive to strictly focus on one to the exclusion of all the others. Mm-hmm. And there's also this idea of you know the difference between theoretical and experiential knowledge i'd basically say that you can divide things up like if there's something that you can't verify yourself then there's no real use hanging on to it as a as a a truth that you firmly believe in Um, at the very most i'd say you can consider it a provisional truth like at this time based on what other people tell me then I can accept this thing about truth. And for most people, most scientific truth is like that. Because most people aren't scientists. Most people never take it upon themselves to verify any science, quote, you know, scientific truth for themselves. They just take it on the authority of scientists that, uh, that do these kind of things. You know, whether it's Carl Sagan or um, Bill Nye the Science Guy or whoever. It's, you just kind of take them at their word for it and then you feel smart because uh, you know what, you just repeat what someone else has told you. Of course, you can try to verify it for the, for yourself. You know, if you believe the world is flat and you gain all this knowledge about why the world is round, you still don't know for yourself. But you can use that you can use that information that you've put together in such a way to verify it for yourself by you know launching a rocket into space or you know planning a planning a trip around the the circumference of the earth or whatever you can kind of verify it for yourself that way but even then there's that's a a limited area of truth that kind of scientific physical knowledge there are also things that you can come to know for yourself absolutely um without relying on anyone else to kind of even provide the uh well well yeah i'll just leave it at there are things that you can come to verify for yourself and the best things the easiest well not necessarily the easiest but the the most available material for gaining that kind of experiential knowledge is of oneself you can learn all kinds of things about your yourself you can re, you can realize you can come to know that in certain situations you react in certain in certain ways that in those situations you lack a degree of freedom over yourself or, or mastery over, over yourself that, and, and really come to see that truth that you mentioned, Corey, that you are essentially a machine in these cases. You aren't, you aren't your own master because just look at how easily you are triggered or th- th- that you react to certain situations. And then you are in, you are influenced. You are, um, basically pushed in a, pushed to act in a certain way that you didn't choose you're acting because of the 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 automatic reaction you've had to a person around you and you can see that oftentimes when you get annoyed or frustrated about a person around you well how much control over yourself do you have if that person doing that thing affects you so deeply and so strongly that you can't actually act on your own you have to act based on that reaction a person with mastery over themselves it wouldn't matter what that other person done or did or had done or had done to you 
you'd act on your own initiative. So that, that that's kind of where the well, then there's the the domain of let's say mystical knowledge and and experiences, like we talked mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago with uh, Stephen Hurtenstein uh, Hurtenstein about uh, Ibn al-Arabi. There's a whole kind of uh, a whole realm, a whole world of mystical knowledge that can apparently be, you know, verified for, ver- experienced and verified for oneself, as opposed to just believed on authority. Um, that's a whole other question. But I think the the main point is just that really truth, in order to be truth, in order to, the, to become um, like wisdom and understanding and true knowledge has to be experientially experienced, you know, understood for oneself. Um, and you can't call it truth if it's not that. If Again, if you're just repeating what someone else has said, that whatever you're believing may be true, but it isn't, it isn't a part of you. It doesn't become part of you. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to another, a couple, a couple things that Jordan Peterson has said repeatedly that always... Uh, you know, I've stuck with me since I heard them say him, say them. One of them was the, the, from his own experience of, you know, being a young man and catching himself in his own lies. As he describes it, he could basically feel it in, in his, uh, solar plexus, a feeling like he'd say something and then realize, well, that wasn't really me saying that. I don't actually believe that there's some, it's, it's false for me to say that. And so, at a again at a young age, he experimented and kind of became his own master to a to a degree. Not to say anything that would make him feel like that. Not to say anything that he didn't either, you know, believe for himself or know to be true for himself. Um, basically, to stop lying. And that's kind of a remarkable thing. I talked about it w- when I did the summary of. Um, like the first couple chapters of Maps of Meaning, because that's where he talks about it in writing those experiences. It's uh, kind of it's a it's a remarkable thing because most people don't have that ex- most people don't have that insight, especially at such a young age, to be able to see that they lie to themselves most of the time. But that is one of those truths that you don't have to take anyone's word for it. You can verify it for yourself, or not. In which case, you're probably just you'll continue to lie to yourself, but that's life. But uh, you can verify it for yourself that most of the things you say you don't actually believe. You don't actually know. You're either repeating something that someone else has told you and want to, want to appear knowledgeable, or you are using information, using so-called knowledge instrumentally as a means for getting something emotionally. Mm-hmm. You're using it in a situation again, like in the relationship relationship examples that we brought up, using it for some kind of hidden, um, like emotional motivation under the surface that isn't consciously acknowledged, and that is what rules most interpersonal behavior. I'd say. Yeah. Well, you've said a few things that uh, I wanted to comment on. One, and I'd like to get back to that last point you made, Harrison, because that's a there's a flip side to that too. Uh, in contrast to the kind of legalistic nitpicking that would be or considered quote unquote true or technically true, 
that many people engage in and in, in using truth. Uh, there's also the dynamic where, in fact, a person may have some insight into the truth of a relationship with someone or something, and out of fear of causing discomfort or perceived harm uh, to this other person in communicating the truth, they engage in something called uh, the mum effect, which is basically keeping things under wraps and preventing any kind of shock or discomfort in their minds that might be experienced by the person on the receiving end of truth. Now, I think what many don't, and I've certainly experienced this realization as well, we do this cost-benefit analysis of being truthful or not with others, and one of the benefits and potential that I don't think we've really ever thought about as such is the idea that by being honest and truthful with those who are receptive and who have some part in themselves that yearn for or value truth and honesty, there's a level of intimacy and trust and closeness that can be nurtured and strengthened and built upon, which comes down to, you know, one of the core uh, dimensions of, of human cooperation and, and working together and living together and growth and being together. And having established out of some discomfort a avenue uh, for or a, um, a path to sharing truth and honesty uh, can be one of the most fulfilling and meaningful parts of the human experience that are available to us. So, you know, th there is, there are all of these levels of um, truth-telling that exist simultaneously that... Uh, all of these potential pitfalls or, or fears or, um, you know, as you were saying before, Harrison, if you're, if you're lying to yourself, if you're not true to your, to thine own self, be true as a, as a base, as a point of departure, then sharing truth with someone can be seen as the utter, uh, exemplification of hypocrisy <clears throat> and completely disregarded or dismissed. And, and we see that sort of thing all the time in, in all of the machinations of politicians right now who are okay with no social distancing for protests, but not okay if you own a restaurant and, and you are trying to run a business and you're not adhering to all of these rules, just as an example. So... So truth is the ultimate value, first with oneself, and, and then out of that with others, has the great potential for a closeness and trust and growth that 
I think is what keeps people from being separated from one another and lifts all of us up in potential. Yeah. I, yeah. As you, as you, uh, as you two are talking, I'm thinking about, um, a number of different things. It brings up a number of different thoughts. Um, and one of them, like you're discussing Ilan, uh, this, you know, the idea of the warmth and the closeness, um, it makes me think of truth in the sense of like that, the sacred fire, you know, that kind of ancient concept goes back to ancient Rome, probably goes back to Iran, just goes back and back. But this idea that, um, of, uh, of something communal, of something that keeps the community warm, keeps the, keeps darkness at bay, something that strengthens the community, keeps them healthy and, and something that needs to be nourished and cherished. That there's um, that that truth, uh, as we were saying, has a multi-dimensional um, nature, um, and that and use, and that can be you know symbolized in different ways. But that you know light and fire is one of the the ways that it has been symbolized throughout history because of its because um, it's analogous with those uh, qualities uh, and those forces because. When you are share, when you have a truthful relationship with somebody, it is warm. It is you. You aren't afraid. You don't. You're not terrified of the creatures of the night. You're not. You're not terrified of the distance and of of the darkness and of the of not knowing what what's at your back or who's or if someone even if someone has your back. Um, that it has those qualities, um, and that I think that you know through our, the religious traditions, they you know over eons have kind of cultivated this idea of truth and that that as it's come to us today as they say you know the water kind of takes on the the color of the of the cup so that each of us individually will um we could think that we're being truthful or, or whatever but there is an objective truth to the truth and that we're trying to figure out like is it what is the what is the real nature of truth and so i wanted to um, I wanted to kind of kind of break down different ways that we could we that we relate to the world as as human beings, and um, and that there that there's it seems like there's at least three ways, um, you know, just as a heuristic and just kind of to just as like a little thought experiment. But you have people of the lie essentially, um, like M. Scott Peck. Mm -hmm. wrote about um, people who worship the lie and you see them all the time on the news. Uh, it doesn't matter what the truth is to them because it's very easy for them to engage in outright bald face lying just in order to win an argument or in order to advance their politics um, in a, in a distinctly Machiavellian sociopathic and then and then increasingly psychopathic way they they enjoy lying they enjoy destroying the truth because they they like the fact that people think that the truth is the truth and that on some level we know what the truth is and we know and but they they love um, manipulating people and having people turn against individuals to prey on them and to you know try and uh, try and destroy their psyches because deep down we need to have an objective reality we need to we don't like to be gaslit 
But I mean, nowadays you just go on any news station, open up your social media, and you're and you'll see people engaged in exactly this tactic—just bald-faced lying for the for the sake of um, of destroying people and elevating themselves. And you know, these are people of the lie. And then you have—I um, mean, this is like a profession, right? It's basically a spiritual profession. It's anti-spiritual, but it's—it's it's a way that a lot of people um, function. And then you have you, what well, you could say, like people of the truth. There's, but it's multi-leveled, so that you have individuals um, who will seek the truth. That and they—they they want to know the truth in physics, if they could. If they, if they have the brain power, they'd love to know the truth in every single sphere possible. If they had the time and energy, they would put, devote themselves to discovering the truth here, there, anytime they're presented with something, they want to know, um, they want to get in, they want to know the nuanced, com complex um, reality of the situation out of their desire, like we were talking about before, for, for light, for warmth. For um, for bringing people closer to you know to heal people, you so many you know physicians um, out there who are who will speak the truth no matter what because of their desire, um, not just factual um, truth, but to help to heal. That it's it's a service to to other people that they that they engage in, um, and. It, and it and it takes them, and it, it's a it's a way of relating to the to reality that they follow. It's a, it's a religion fundamentally, and and then you have the vast uh, majority of people who really couldn't care less. It's it's not a you know they're not people of the lie, but they're not people of the truth. But they get a little bit of both, and but deep down they're still instinctually they're drawn to the warmth of the truth. They're repulsed by the, the nastiness and the ugliness of lies. And liars often like to think that they're, you know, you know, they like Satan thinks that he's, you know, was greater than God himself, right? Um, but they, you know, they're trapped in this kind of a, this bubble, this illusion where they think that they're the greatest thing in all of the universe, but they're so ugly that, and then a lot of, you know, most people, I think a lot of people, you know, can see that and they either become repulsed or whatnot, but they, they are not really equipped to, to deal with that in a way that is nuanced or, you know, um, practical or healthy. You know, they, and they can be pushed into one extreme or another by people of the lie. And, you know, so unfortunately, both of those groups, it seems to me, are basically, they pretty much tend to the same thing. The, you know, it's... Which two? The, the people of the lie and just like the apathetic people. Mm -hmm. It's just, they're basically the same mass. Um, it's, it's just you know, the people that are most constitute most of humanity mm -hmm. who don't really have the desire or the time or the energy to pursue um, what we're talking about are naturally like in the gravitational orbit of those of those other individuals because of the the potency and and the the power behind behind lies um, and the weakness of of people who have have truth. The the alleged weakness, you know, the supposed weakness. Um but but yeah, so I I, I, I was thinking that um, that 
that there is a multi-levelness to it, that there are some people who do have a little bit of that, that spark and they want, they're more attracted towards, towards things that are true. They can kind of taste these things. And then, you know, it takes a, a larger community to share that information and to, to make it clear and to do it in a way that you, that is, you know, it's understandable to, to people who are otherwise, you know, like they're just kind of at a loss because you just, they've been ignoring reality for most of their entire life. And now they've got um, bricks being hurled at them through their windows mm -hmm. and they have no idea what the heck just happened. Um, and yet they're caught in the, the crossfire. One of the things, one of the things that makes me think about is the, the possible responses to truth or the exposure of a lie. Cause you mentioned the, the people in between, right? The majority of people, I think that the, the response to, let's say the exposure of a lie demonstrates to a pretty good degree that deep down people do care for the truth, that there is that kind of instinctual, not only awareness, but that instinctual, um, attraction to the warmth and the light, because whenever a a big lie is exposed publicly from an authoritative source mm -hmm. there is like outrage among a vast number of people they say well how could this have happened you know they want heads to roll once they once they find out if they find out that someone has just been a totally devious you know son of a bitch making things up and ruining people's lives with lies they want vengeance you know they want it it touches them on a you know a very basic level and i think that shows that that there is this instinctual attraction towards the truth but how many of those people were suspicious of that person before the alleged exposure exposure of the lie mm -hmm. i mean many of those people probably believed it wholesale maybe that's one reason why they react the way they do is because they were deceived i mean if anyone's ever been deceived by a con man um, I think probably a lot of people have, whether it's, uh, um, some online con man or someone, or just some random person on the street. Um, you feel pretty rotten after realizing that you've been deceived and that, uh, that you've fallen for it, that you've believed a liar, you know, a, a person of the lie. But there are multiple responses to the truth. Um, this a good a good example a good um well there's a parable for it i only know i for some reason my my memory isn't working i only remember the the name of the parable the alternative name of the parable given to it by um by a you know a biblical writer a, a biblical scholar the parable of the good earth Adam, do you, do you remember what the parable is of the four, the, the rocky ground, the, the good earth, and the, so the parable of the seeds or the yeah. parable, parable yeah. of the, the fruit or something so like that? The seeds. the seeds, yeah. So in the parable of the seeds, it's really a good parable, um, a good symbol of reality. Uh, Jonathan Peugeot actually has a, a really good video about, about it. If you just search Jonathan Peugeot and parable of the seeds or just parable, it'll come up. But it is... I'd say that at its most basic level, it's a it's a depiction of the different responses to the truth, and how basically the you've got a guy, yeah, parable of the sower. 
That's the one. Yes, the sower of seeds. And um, the different responses to the truth in the context of, you know, the Gospel of Mark where it was first written, it's the the the, the truth as in the the gospel, the the good news of Jesus, but it's so much it's much wider than that. Uh, Peugeot says it's basically like true on a cosmic level at every level. But just as a response to the truth, you you throw out the these seeds and the ground that it falls upon is basically your being, essentially. And they can either that truth can either take no root, and that would be like the people of the lie, or it can take root um, for a while. This would be the, walk, the the rocky ground, and then when things get tough, then it's like, okay, you know, I wasn't really that serious about it, and then you basically um, leave the truth behind. And then there's the thorny ground, where, as uh, in the parable, as Jesus describes it, it's something like. Um, the, the cares of the world to take over. So you can tell the tell the truth to someone about something, but then there are things that are that become more important to that person. So the 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 truth isn't that important. So you can tell someone a, a certain truth. Let's say let's say you reveal this big political lie that's that's been exposed, and then a person just says, "Oh well, you know that doesn't really affect me that much. You know I'm living my life just just fine. Doesn't matter to me one way or the other." when it actually might, and it probably does. Um, and even if that one doesn't, then there are all kinds of similar things going on that impact the world, impact the the nature of this network of personal interactions that we call society, but there are more important things to that person, and often it's just worldly things, you know, whether it's their, their job or their position, their their status. And then there's the actual, the good earth that is receptive in which the truth kind of can blossom and grow and bear fruit. So in that parable, there are these four basic responses to the, basically the reception of truth. And you can see that play out in yourself, in other people. And I think what the, maybe one of the things that puts all those people in the middle at a, disadvantage and you know i think in 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 any in certain situations we will all be we can all be categorized in that middle section because um we can't all be pure truth seekers that are you know have have these have this total awareness of themselves that are just like expertly focused in this tight laser beam on the truth like that's a there are very few if any people like that um but if we, the, the disadvantage for the for the people in in that mass of people, just the disadvantage for people in general who aren't just stone cold liars, is that we're we don't think about it. We don't approach reality like that. It's not something that really enters into our 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 minds as we're going through our daily lives. We just kind of go with the flow of things and and are, are knocked back and forth by whatever. Whatever each day brings us, whether it's a just a, a boring, habitual day where nothing really happens and just the same things are happening, or whether life throws us a curveball in one form or, form or another, but we don't change our mindset to to look at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. We look at it in the habitual way that we've always looked at it, and if we're just looking at things the same way we've always looked at them, 
then we won't get anything new out of what's what we're encountering. We'll just react with the the same ways that we've always react. And if we're just doing the same thing, we're not going to get anything new. And if we're not getting anything new, that means we're not getting, we're not gaining knowledge. We're not gaining any more truth than we already have, however much we already have. We're just going with the flow. So by changing, by introducing that change in mindset to just kind of add a little bit of questioning to our everyday lives, it can be in the form of, well, did I, did what I just, do I really believe what I just said? Do I know if what I just said is true or not? Well, what about, that's probably where I think the most of the focus should be. Um, but there should also be focus on other, on other people. Is what that person is saying true? Now, it doesn't matter as much to me whether that person, some random person believes a truth or a lie. It's not like I'm going to smash them over the head until they, you know, accept the truth about A, B, or C. But for me, for myself... Should I believe what that person is saying? Is that statement a true or lie? Are they behaving in a in a in an honest manner um, in that wider context too? To so to, it, it kind of entails looking at everything through this lens of almost you could call it a, a critical mind. It's more than that, but uh, to be critical of you to be maybe critical isn't the best word. Attentive. Um, to oneself and to everything that basically enters into your perceptual sphere, mm-hmm. um, whether it's what you're, and it could be what, what you're seeing, what you're hearing. Um, and then the actual semantic content of the, of the information that you take in from what you read, from what you hear from others. Um, so on a very basic level, it can be, is what I am seeing true is what, uh, is what I think I am seeing true. And of course there's, all kinds of cliches about the news and, and, uh, um, you know, seeing isn't believing where if you see something out of context, yes, you've seen that chances are it did exist, but now with deep faking, you know, you can't be totally sure, but you can probably be sure that, that, that was what you're seeing actually took place, but what's the wider context? Um, has it been edited in some way Mm -hmm. to actually introduce this level of critical thinking about everything? Um, that you can't believe and to, to know that you can't totally trust or believe anything that you see or hear. There's always, you should always be, if you value truth, you should always be seeking the, the greater, the greatest context possible and the most evidence possible. And to acknowledge when you're to yourself, when you don't have enough evidence and to be okay with uncertainty, it's like, well, I don't know enough. I don't have enough evidence to say for sure one way or another. looks like it's probably a over B. Um, and over C and D and E and F. Um, but maybe it's like G or H or, you know, X or Y or Z. I just don't have enough information and that's okay. Well, the, what you just said is what I'd like to uh, focus in on a little bit more because you mentioned uncertainty, Harrison, and I think that that is one of the most difficult emotional, psychological states that most people undergo when they are being faced with facts or truth that don't conform with their preconceived ideas of how things are. And this level of uncertainty, whether it mean uh, how a person would or should react if they're presented with truth and how that would come back to you in your relationship to them, or whether facing truth uh, in the in the face of the big lie 
uh, hearing something and, and learning of some bit of truth that is in complete contradiction to what most people think and believe about a certain uh, event or, uh, or aspect or, or dimension to reality, what it, what it does, I think, and I think many people understand this on an unconscious level, is it induces a uh, the, the question of, well, if this isn't true, then what else may not be correct? And if, and if that's the case, uh, you know, the, then I'm living on a kind of unstable ground that I have taken for granted and am so used to and so reliant upon in order to in order to exist in this level of comfort that I am so used to for so long. So there's something you might say that is a bit dangerous about the truth and truth telling mm-hmm. to an individual's sense of being. It would uh, crack open or has the potential to um, demolish uh, all of these structures of, of understanding that, that, a person thinks they have about the way things are and that's a that's a very dangerous idea to many i think it also induces a, a feeling of helplessness because if they are for instance confronted with the idea let's say that uh 9-11 the event of 9-11 is not what it's been purported to be by all of the western press and and the media and and government officials all kind of um, affirming this one vision or, or this one narrative. You know, what faced with this other possibility uh, that it that it's quite different from the narrative we were presented with. There is this helplessness. The the next question becomes: Well, what do I do? Uh, you know, this is obviously this can't stand. Uh, this is a this is so um, so such a departure from from reality that's believed by so many. It, you know, it, it it cuts to the quick of of me as a a person who 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 is striving for some level of truth uh, about one's world. You know what what can I do? So I think that. Uh, people instinctively understand that um, and have an aversion of the feeling and experience of uncertainty and helplessness that causes this aversion to knowing truth as distinct from the big lie. And there's so much of this uh, that we have come to understand as, as the basic state of affairs in this world at this time from, from, uh, global warming to political ideology to uh, geopolitics to uh, to earth changes all of these various things that are that were being pounded on the head to believe um, that would or could induce a, a, an internal upheaval inside of a person um, so it, it it's much safer uh, to many to not allow this information to get in and to not challenge oneself uh, with new information. And, and what you were saying about, you know, growing and adding this knowledge to oneself 
and and moving forward with it and processing it. Uh, and Corey, you alluded to all of the energy and, and time that it would take in a person's life if they were to, at some level anyway, try and pursue truth as a, as a the highest value. Many people are not prepared, um, or or don't have a drive to to go that far. And even if you do think you you have that sort of a drive, there are. You know, home truths, truths about ourselves as individuals, as you were saying earlier, Harrison, lies that we tell ourselves to make life easier and uh, and more convenient that um, that are part and parcel of seeing the the bigger lie. I don't think that we I don't think that we can truly understand larger events in the world without putting some focus on to ourselves and how we lie to ourselves as individuals. And I think that's the way we come to understand how the big lie gets perpetuated by seeing how it's perpetuated through, in many cases, the little lie. Oh yeah. Those were, those are really good points. And I just wanted to, to comment on the fact that, um, yeah, there, it, it would take superhuman efforts to discover the entire truth if you were the only person doing it. But it's completely different um, if you are part of a, a group or a community or you have friends or you have people that you can trust because you did make the choice to align yourself with the truth and you did um, come in contact with other individuals who made the same choice that their their strengths will help your weaknesses and your strengths will compensate for their weaknesses and that not everyone has to be the hercules or the odysseus um because yes those people do exist and those people um do uh, move mountains um but they don't do it for themselves you know they do it for the for the larger community of people who can't do it you know, like the saying, you know, the strong legs run so that the weak legs may walk. You know, it's it's not completely hopeless because the pain of sacrificing lies, uh, personally, is not nearly as bad as the pain on those around you and the cataclysm, really, that you bring upon your head and the heads of others um, from believing those lies and allowing that darkness to spread in your life. And it's not that, uh, it's might seem big, like a big jump, but, um, you know, the, like I said, the strong legs run so the weak legs may walk. And that's basically, um, something that's, that's been taking place now for, you know, generations. And it's still, it's a still a, an ongoing process. And, you know, it's, the choice is always there. It's always there. And, you know, that's, that's what I, you know, we were really hoping to, I think, drive home today is that is the, the fundamental value of truth and honesty in relationships. And, you know, the, the little choices that we make are just as important as the, you know, the physicist who discovers that the, the time warp drive or the, you know, the, the hero who, who um, slays the dragon, you know, it's those little choices are 
just as important in cementing that reality of the um, of the the community of truth. So on that note, we hope that you all enjoyed the the show, and you'll tune in next time. And you have a fantastic week, and enjoy some leisure time. Bye, everybody.